It is a broad, messed up topic. Welcome to Geeks Without God with Molly Glover, Nick Glover, and Tim Wick. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. This week on Geeks Without God, we are discussing the increasing conflict between employers and workers who feel they ought to be paid a living wage for doing their job. Guess which side we come out on? We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, geeks without God. Welcome to Geeks Without God. I'm your host, Molly Glover, joined as always by my co-hosts, Tim Wick. Oh, that's me. And Nick Glover. Hey, I'm Nick Glover. And today we are here to talk about something that's a little bit discouraging right now, but there's also, I think, some encouraging bits. Uh, American jobs and the current state of the American workforce and American labor. Uh, We are you know, I would say at so we are we are at the beginning of where vaccinations are really starting to ramp up, mm-hmm. uh, and so a lot of these a lot of this comes from uh, Biden released the April jobs report uh, to say how many jobs that we had gained, and it was disappointing. Uh, we only gained uh, we gained a, a small number of jobs. I want to say it was in the two hundred something two hundred sixty six thousand. I think is what yeah, I read. Yeah, uh, uh, and and it was disappointing. And but there's a lot to unpack here uh, in terms of what is happening in America, uh, and it may be happening in other countries as well, but probably not to the extent because most other countries that are of the affluent and power level of America have things like universal basic income and socialized medicine. So for us, it's a, it's a different story. And since that's our experience, that's what we're going to focus on here. Um, shit in America is rough right now, guys. Uh, uh, it's as bad as it's ever been in terms of uh, the way people view the government, uh, regardless of their political affiliation, uh, the way people trust the government will take care of them. Uh, And also the trust between employee and employers uh, has really been dramatically damaged. Uh, So I just wanted to talk a little bit about this. Uh, Just to start off, uh, we still have 8.2 million jobs to recover that we lost since March, 2020. And that's positions that were eliminated or? Uh, Yeah, jobs that were eliminated, uh, jobs that are still unfilled. It's a combination of everything. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a a tricky thing because it's not just, it's not just like we need to create 8.2 million jobs. Many of those jobs exist. Um, yes. But there's nobody yes. doing them. Correct. Um, so uh, that is that is what. And so now I want to first I want to talk about this. This you if you've been on any articles lately about work or unemployment insurance or anything like that, you've probably encountered those wonderful people in the comments who say shit like everyone's just so lazy. Why would they work when they can get you? They can get their unemployment insurance and stay home. Now this is very similar to the racist. Uh, welfare queens argument that you yeah. would hear that people just want to stay home and get welfare checks and live high on the on the hog on their multiple monies that they get from their their welfare. Uh, unemployment insurance is something that like you kind of paid for yeah. when you mm-hmm. worked. You paid into it. And so did your boss. That's that is uh, it is not like the government just giving you free money. 
uh, to, to mode, so that that's an oversimplification. And a lot of these people seem to think that uh, everybody who doesn't work right now is lazy and will say things like, McDonald's is hiring, but you're too, you think you're too good for that job, don't you? Now, I think we should unpack that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I bet that the majority of the people that are saying that are old enough where what the wages you'd get from a job like McDonald's meant were significantly different in terms of, you know, what kind of cost of living that that could afford. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I also think those the people who say that are not the people who would go and get a job at McDonald's if they were in the same situation. Right. It's really easy to say it. You know, but unless you're wearing one of the fucking McDonald's hats and taking an order for Big Mac yourself, um, yeah. then it's bullshit. It's a bullshit statement. You know, if Tucker Carlson, if Tucker Carlson gets kicked off Fox News tomorrow, he's not going to go get a job at a fucking McDonald's. Right? Right. Exactly. Um, so I was going to say that, you know, they, they either they, they live, they're old enough where, you know, the wages don't reflect the amount of work now compared to what it did then, mm -hmm. or they're well off or privileged enough to have never had to work a job like that before yeah. ever. Yeah. Or they're it's, retired. Or Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, which, I mean, the irony of irony of someone who's retired saying that, you know, criticizing someone for, you know, taking unemployment insurance yeah. payments or whatever. I think, too, the, what's really frustrating is that there's this idea that if you are unemployed, you should be willing to take any job any job like that any job should be good enough and those jobs can abuse you and those yeah. jobs can be uh full of you know rude people who are who who treat you poorly and honestly like that your employer will treat you poorly and pay you as little as humanly possible right uh to get away with uh treating you and so i think that this i i want the first thing i wanted to talk about was that whole like uh that whole idea of people are too lazy to work. I have never met anybody who was unemployed who didn't want to work, personally. Uh, unless they were in school, you know, but gen or, or it was something like, even people I know who are literally too disabled to work wish they could work because it, right. it, it gives structure to the days and so much of our value as Americans is placed on what do you do? Or they, you know, are sad but not being able to work because they are not accommodated it's just a reminder of another way that the world doesn't yes isn't made for them or doesn't fit them and, yeah. that, and that could go with anyone you know not not just if you have a disability but that could be uh, a, a culture or mm -hmm. race thing that could be a lot of different things yeah i think uh something that that a lot of, so something that i've i've been reading a lot of this on twitter and reading through a lot of these threads and there's always a lot of non-Americans on Twitter, right? Who are just like gobsmacked at uh, yeah. the situations when they find out what happens. And so someone was like, explain it to me. I guess they don't understand. Uh, don't these jobs have benefits? And it's like, oh no, 
No. no, these jobs don't have benefits. In fact, they will they will only schedule you for 30 hours or 31 hours or whatever they have to do to skirt under their company policy to not give you benefits. Uh, and you will not be allowed to work long enough to get those benefits. And then I saw a thread where they were explaining the difference between tipped minimum wage and minimum wage in right. certain states and how that because when I worked when I lived in Chicago and I worked as a waitress, uh, I made three dollars and 20 cents an hour because I was a tipped employee, but people didn't tip me because I was making a wage. Right. Like, so it was, it was, it was, it was amazing. And, and it's the, it's the most amazing, amazingly ridiculous concept in the world to suggest that because you're tipped, you should make less. So that means you're going to get paid as much as the cooks, right? Cause you'll get tips to make up for it. It's like, no, I'm working the same number of fucking hours. I should mm -hmm. get paid for doing the work. And if I get tipped on top of that, great, but you shouldn't be like, punishing me for the fact that I'm getting a tip. Um, yeah. And, and what we're seeing, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say what we, what we saw with the pandemic, especially was that so many of these jobs, they called them, they called them frontline workers because they were customer facing, right? Yeah. All these customer facing jobs are the ones that are the lowest paid that don't have benefits who don't get to have a set schedule and have, you know, you never know from one week to another what days you're going to work. And yet these are the people that you rely on to be the face of your company. Like heroes, that's, Molly. Yeah, heroes. the heroes you rely on, excuse me, mm, to be the face yeah. of your company. Like, you know, you don't, you, you don't know who the fuck the board or the CEO or the management of your local pizza places, but you know the person who came to deliver your pizza and, and how they and how they presented themselves and whether the pizza was on time, which is all stuff that's on them. You know, when you walk, when you go to a restaurant, the person you interact with is your server. You don't see the cooks. The food may be bad, but you blame the server almost all the time when the food is made wrong because you assume that they are the one that where the where the communication broke down. And most of the time, most restaurants policies that I worked at, I wasn't allowed to say, no, the kitchen screwed this up. Huh. It was, we screwed this up, we'll make it right. But that's me, they right. see me. So now that is, you know, someone else's mistake just cost me my tip. Right. And I think it's really telling that these jobs, which are very thankless, are the ones that were cut, the, were cut first when restaurants were like, we're gonna furlough everybody. And they cut those jobs right away. And now they're like, I don't know why you guys don't want to come back. I completely left you to the wolves in the middle of a pandemic because I couldn't afford it. And, and a lot of them, you know, of course, the, the Republican argument is that everybody's collecting these $300 pay, paychecks and sitting at home. And, and some of that, while correct, their, their sentiment is wrong. You know, there are people going, you know what? My kids are still home from school, so yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to try and find a job where I have to pay somebody for daycare and stuff like that until I can get my kids back in school or, or do whatever. So that some of that's I happening. Make enough, until I make enough that I can afford daycare because right. I wouldn't be able to afford the daycare to cover my McDonald's shifts right. with McDonald's pay. <laughs> some of that's happening, but a lot of it is people finding other jobs and going, why am I going to go back? You know, even uh, there was an article Molly shared with me today where, you know, there are people who are working as like sous chefs at fine dining restaurants who are getting paid 18 bucks an hour and and they're like, well, I can go to this other job and get paid $26 an hour and it's way less stressful. And I never um, get burned. And I yeah. never get burned. And, yep. you know, there's benefits and, and all this other stuff. And it's like, hours. Yep. and they yeah. all work through the pandemic. Yeah. And this I don't have to, and I don't have to not down. see my family at night. Yep. Um, yep. So, so part of the problem is that these jobs that have been undervalued 
people don't want to return to because they're finding out that they don't have to return to that job uh, and they don't want to. They're not they're not just going to go back to a shit paying job with high stress levels and low level of appreciation um, mm-hmm. because it's there. Yeah. You know, it's that, well, that 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 thing about McDonald's that I always think is like anybody who's worked at McDonald's. I I mean, if I went out on the Internet right now and said, who here who's worked at McDonald's or any other fast food restaurant looks back at that time in their life fondly? Yeah. And you can't have been in high school. Yeah. It had to but be even, a job that was paying for your life. Not like I made extra money in high school to like have yeah. fun. Like it was like you were an adult and you had rent. Yeah. But even if it was, how many high schoolers are like, yeah. oh, yeah. Working at McDonald's was a blast. Well, and I, I think it's it's a dangerous thing to think of too. Is that these to think of these jobs as only being fast food or food service? Yeah. Uh, because it was a lot of uh, healthcare clinics. Uh, a friend of the show, Nate, burned out working at a health clinic because the people were the, just the the policies of, of at the top, and then also that the cust the clients really the patients made the job so stressful that it wasn't worth the mental health toll it was taking. Uh, when you worked at CenturyLink. Yeah, uh, he got this job and it was, you know, it was a fairly high paying job. It's a, it was, you know, in IT, yet the benefits were so bad and the PTO schedule was so bad. Be like, t- 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 talk I, about yeah, it. I, uh, yeah, the, the, the paycheck was itself was good, but uh, if you weren't allowed to take time off in the summer, <laughs> unless you had been working there for for you know nine or ten years because of the it was all done by seniority so there wasn't any incentive for anyone to start there and they they kept running into this problem where big people would start and then they'd be like ah actually fuck this and they'd leave <laughs> and it's like yeah. uh all and and it was going to be a crisis for them because so many of the uh telecom workers in that particular provisioning department were uh you know, boomerish or old Gen X. Mm -hmm. And those folks are, you know, on their way out of the workforce and they were having problems attracting young people to those roles. And it's like, do you not understand why? It's because you're not giving them anything other than a paycheck. Yep. There it's it's work life balance isn't just I do the work and and you write the checks. There also has to be a lot of accommodation that goes you know both ways there mm-hmm. and right now i feel like uh it's a it's a single-edged sword mm. and labor is the one that's always getting cut yeah yeah and you know you'll you'll get an email that's like oh company profits all-time high everything this is literally an email i got at CenturyLink one year um we had a great uh quarter uh, from the CEO or whatever. Everything, you know, profits are good. Our double digit profits. Good. You know, double digit rise here and here. That said, in order to keep this up, some, some you know, we're going to have to make some sacrifices. And tighten some belts. And then the, it went on to talk about how no one's getting raises that year. It's oh, like, my God. How, yeah. How the fuck do you yeah. boast profits and yeah. then not share that with the people that got you those profits? And it's, it's just this top-heavy fucking... You know, CEOs making too much money. Yeah, yeah. I, also, I, yeah. I worked for General Electric for a while um, in one of their companies, and uh, when I started working there, everybody got a Christmas bonus. I mean, you just mm-hmm. got a check that was mm-hmm. 
thanks for working here. Um, and it was, you made it another year. It was <laughs> it was a little it was a little different based on where you were, and then like it turned into like this dividend system where you would get a certain amount maybe, and it would mm-hmm. vest over time, so mm-hmm. you couldn't get it right away, and you know, and and then you know mm-hmm. eventually it turned into you know here's a coupon for a turkey, and I don't remember, uh-huh. but I mean, but it was like it started with here's cash. And it was a lot of cash. It was like five hundred dollars or something. It wasn't. It wasn't fifty bucks. It was here's a here's a good sized check to say thank you for working to the company. And by the time I left, we were getting a gift certificate, maybe. And it wasn't company wide. Like individual departments decided for themselves what they were going to do for their employees for their holiday bonus. And the holiday and it was almost never money. It was like, well, we're going to take everybody bowling or some shit. and, and I mean, that's, that's happened all over the place. This idea that that you don't have to appreciate your employees because they're going to come back no matter what. Right. And that and the, the, the thing is, what's really hilarious is so that has now turned into, well, then we don't have to appreciate our employers. Yep. Mm-hmm. If that if it's an at, Minnesota is an at will employment state, which means that I can quit for any reason and you can fire me for any reason. Any like, non non discriminatory. Any non discriminatory reason. reason. Yes, yeah. you can't fire me just because I'm a woman and you'd rather have a man in the job or things like that. But but if you're just like, I find Molly to be too abrasive. She we just don't get along. Tell me you about can, it. I know you can just fire me. Never happened, but it could. But I can also be like, one day wake up and go, you know what? Nah, fuck this job. And I can quit. I don't have to give any notice. I can just leave. But that means that if they don't, if, if when employers stopped treating their employees actually like family, instead of saying we're a family as a way of meaning we all have to make sacrifices so that the CEO and the shareholders make profits, and it became this whole, you know, we don't really care about you. you we can always... Thousands of people want this job. Anybody would love to have this job. You know, we don't need you. Well, now I'm like, I can work anywhere. I can work anywhere. I don't need you. And mm-hmm. so now that when when the pandemic hit and all these businesses closed down, most of them being, you know, restaurants and shops and things, you know, they closed and they said goodbye to their employees. And then the ones that managed to maybe hang on to rent and are now trying to reopen and are like, okay, you can come back. And the employees are like, no, I'm going to find something else. And they're just like shocked Pikachu face that anybody would ever treat them the way they treated you. And it's, it's really just like, it's, there's that, uh, it's, it's, it's been around a long time, but, uh, it's a, image of a, a giant fish eating little fish yeah and it's like don't organize. panic organize yeah. and then all the little fish turn into a bigger fish to go you know to like as a group That's, yeah it's there's lots of you know wobbly and and union uh slogans like that like the the bosses need you more than you need them mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh that that sort of thing but right now right now it's true yes um, yes uh so uh, Tim, you work in a uh, you because Nick and I both have office jobs that yeah. never stopped during the pandemic. Our right. companies didn't work have to home. downsize. They didn't have to change. My company decided we would all work from home and that's going to be permanent now. That was our big change. But no one lost their jobs and we didn't lose anything because of this. Uh, you work in a food delivery for a food delivery company. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like a restaurant. Uh what? How has it been for you? What was? Walk us through. How did the labor timeline go during the pandemic? Well, because I work in delivery and it's corporate delivery, so it's delivery to large groups. That uh, catering it went away. 
A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Um, for about four months, we didn't do anything. Me and Pat and I both do that. Um, so for that that time period, and and you know, we we went, we took the unemployment. We were getting three hundred dollars a week, which was super helpful because we had no income at all, mm-hmm. um, and we were using it to pay down some debt and do some stuff like that to try and try and. Because if it was going to go on too long, well, then we had to start figuring out what the fuck we were going to do. And I right. still think we have to start. We have to figure out what the fuck we're going to do. But we managed to get through what we got through. About four months in, they started taking orders again, and we started doing deliveries. Now, I used to do somewhere between five and eight deliveries a week, and I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but these are for big groups. So, and we would get we would get tipped. And like I could come home sometimes with fifty or a hundred dollars in my pocket in cash, um, off of one delivery. So, mm-hmm. five to seven deliveries a week. We got down. We were we were maybe getting one a week, and they oh were boy. small. Maybe and that one meant a week. you couldn't get unemployment insurance because you were now working. It's prorated, so we still could. Okay. Okay. So that otherwise I would have been like no, but yeah, right. if I, you would have been like no, I'm not going to go back to this job. Yeah, as long I'm as I worked instead. under ten hours, I could keep applying for unemployment. And it um, wasn't because you didn't want to work. Right, it was because it wasn't worth it to make one delivery and not get unemployment insurance if that had been the case. Right. So now we're back to the point where we are doing three to four deliveries a week, but they are smaller. They're smaller groups than they were before. Groups of a hundred, not really a thing right now. And that's not, that's just that in Minnesota that just got made allowable. And I don't even know if that's going to be a thing much in the future, because I can say that, that when there was a recession, speaking of this, this business, when there was a recession about eight, 10 years ago, one of the first things that everybody caught was meals for employees. No, but none mm-hmm. of the employees got to have their 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 working lunches and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And as soon as the economy came back, guess what? Didn't the companies weren't like, oh, we can spend this money again. They're like, oh, nope. our uh-huh. profit margins increase if we just uh-huh. keep not spending that money. So the it's employees like employees are used to it. Yeah, we used, used to, to deliver to Target in downtown Minneapolis two to three times a week. Now, never. Yeah, and, and it was that all was because the pan- yeah. Yeah. That, so, you know, the pandemic going to be the same thing. A whole bunch mm-hmm. of people working from home. There aren't going to be nearly as many meetings that people are going to be ordering food for anyway. So there's that. But in store, these restaurants have seen their business go gangbusters. Sure. Because of it's, takeout. And- yeah. Because because they were always a quick service meal anyway. Their their takeout numbers have gone up. Their uh, you know DoorDash and 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 Grubhub mm-hmm. and all these other all these other delivery services through the roof. Their sales are are up, but they're they don't have any employees. They can't no, they can't hire people because they haven't changed how much they're yeah. paying people. Right, and so your son works for them, right? Like Alex he, works at the same company. He did, and- yeah. He did. It was he. You said. I remember we talked about this. You said he was having trouble getting hours. I know. Um, <laughs> the store he worked at closed. It got basically destroyed during the George Floyd unrest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like the second time in a year it had been destroyed because six months earlier, uh, somebody had driven through the front of the storefront uh, because oh, they, they were they were yeah they were yeah. Uh, they were on heroin or something some serious drugs that'll happen when you drive on heroin <laughs> yeah yeah and they just they just accelerated they they were they 
got into the car and accelerated oh into the restaurant. And my child was two minutes earlier in a spot where he oh would have been God. just crushed. So uh, anyway, that freaked me out for a while. Uh, no, sorry. Two hours earlier. He got sent home earlier. Okay. He got sent That's home. Right. He you wasn't in the restaurant. Now. Yeah. But he can't because the store closed and he was like, well, can I work somewhere else? And they're like, no, we don't have any hours for anybody. All right, but like, they're hiring. But they're hiring <laughs> and their business is higher than it's ever been. Uh-huh. See, and this is what's frustrating is uh, I on one of these Twitter threads, somebody was like, uh, showed a picture of a, a, a small town, like a local restaurant there. And it was like, they're closing their doors. Uh, nobody. And the sign and the thing is like, we have to like, we're sorry, we're going to have to close this restaurant down. Nobody wants to work anymore. Everyone's too busy collecting insurance. And this one woman was like, boy, uh, too bad that like, a couple of months ago when I applied to work there, they told me that I wasn't qualified enough and I wouldn't. And she's like, I would have been there every day. I had all day availability. Uh, I'd worked in similar places. It's just been a while since I've worked. I had a gap in my work history and they said that they wouldn't they wouldn't hire me. And so it's like <laughs> this is another thing I, I ran into that. Uh, so when I uh, had my psychotic uh, break and went to the hospital, I had been working at Toppers as a police pizza delivery driver uh, and I had to leave, obviously. And so I wasn't able to work for two more years, about two and a half years. I was on disability and eventually got a job. Somebody finally took a chance on me and let me start working like five hours a week at a shampoo store. But that was a risky choice for her. And she told me even, I'm going to take a chance on you. I had, I had 15 years of work history before this two-year blip. Yeah. Where I had worked that whole time uh, with, with never been fired you know, nothing but glowing recommendations the whole way down. And because I was not, I didn't work for two years. She didn't know anything about my mental illness. I told her I had taken the time off to try to write a book, which was not inaccurate. And, uh, huh. and, and she was like, yeah, I'm afraid I just, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try. I'm, you know what? I'm going to take a chance on you and let you work huh. five hours a week at the shampoo store. So like, this is the kind of shit that the labor market was in before the pandemic. And now they're like, people don't want to work. <laughs> it's yeah there's there's this um i'm sure you've heard the the catchy slogan there is no ethical consumption under capitalism mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. a, a a thing about that 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 a lot of people don't realize is um we're all working at gunpoint basically um you have to work to live you have to work to eat you have to work to, to pay rent and, and health insurance, uh, have health insurance yeah. and all this thing, these things. So um, we are all being forced to work upon punishment of, of death. Yeah. Right? Uh, yep. And, and so right off the bat, you know, the, the premise is work or die. And, and that's a, uh, an argument that, you know, we can have another time. <laughs> but um, the, the fact is that like, because it's set up that way, you are forced to work through shittier conditions because you have to work, you have to get insurance, you have to, to, to tolerate all this stuff. So, and, and you know, the employers know that. Maybe your manager doesn't know that. Your manager's probably in the same boat you are more or mm -hmm. less, right? But, but the, the people that actually, you know, own and run these companies, the people that are profiting from all this, the people that are making your life a hell are, 
uh, aware of this and they have no motivation to try to make that balance more equitable for, for workers. And so it's so amazing to see this trend of people saying, actually, I don't need this job and fuck you. Um, because I, you know, I really hope it, it turns around for some companies. They start to realize that they actually do need the workers more than mm -hmm. the workers need them. Um, but, uh, there was a thing about, uh, in and out, in and out and Chipotle. Yeah. Yep. Com com they kind of contrast yeah. one another. In and out, in and out is paying $17 an hour and is having zero problems with worker problems, with worker shortages. Yeah. Uh, and up, up to up to twenty dollars an, an hour. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Chipotle just on just yesterday decided announced that they were going to pay everybody fifteen dollars an hour minimum, uh, and they have thousands of applicants. Like they're it's it's yeah. And, and they, they're doing and they're doing hiring bonuses and hiring too. bonuses. Yeah. And, and they and, do benefits. Right. Because yep. you know they they've realized that oh wait a minute <laughs> people aren't aren't going to be willing to work this thankless fucking job for less than a li living wage and $15 an hour is still less than a fucking yeah it's not a living wage cash. it's it's no. like yeah better it's better it's, right yeah but the thing is too i think that they this is i mean and they they saw the writing on the wall which is you know you can argue all you want about how well our profits are going to go down if we pay people more it's like well your profits are going to go down if you keep having to shutter stores because people won't work. But up until now, they would always be able to find somebody. Yeah. It, it is very much like the Renaissance Festival. Yeah. And the reason that a lot of us left when it became clear that the owner was like, I can pay them as little as I want. They'll still work out there because they want to do it for the love of it. And it was like, OK, well, then I'm not going to do it for the love of it, regardless well, of the money. I'm interested to see what happens there because we've got yeah. a new season coming up. Uh, I have not had a conversation about about the contract for the dregs. And as I always say, I keep working there because the dregs make money. Um, right. It, it is worth it for me to work at the Renaissance Festival. I accept the bullshit because because I come out at the end of the season mm -hmm. considerably ahead financially, um, not just a hundred bucks a lot because we built a brand and we built an audience and all that other stuff that we had to do all on our own. The festival didn't yep. help us for shit. Um, but the festival is going to say they lost a ton of money last year because they didn't open and they're going to be coming back to performers and they're probably going to ask us to take a pay cut. Uh huh. And I really am intrigued to see how that's going to go. Are because you going to take a pay cut? If they came back to me and said, will you work for half as much? I will say, I will work half as many days for half as much. That's fair. Yep. Um, yeah. But yeah. I'm not, I I have to do the same amount of work yeah. no matter how much you pay me. Yeah. And the amount of work I, I have did not get cut in half because you had to close last year. That's not my problem. Um, and I, I, I wish that, <laughs> that, I wish that the people who worked, especially in entertainment at the Renaissance Festival could understand really understand that they have all the power because they don't think they do and if you guys if, if 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 they if they organized an actual strike it, and we're like well then none of us you know we're not going to work out there or the people who do are the scabs right and they're going to cross the picket yeah. line if there was an actual strike that festival couldn't open or they'd try and it would be a terrible year yeah i mean it's really <laughs> interesting to see what would happen because the thing is that there are some people that would come back i mean of a friend course. of the show ron bauman they would probably wouldn't offer a cut 
a pay cut to the Tortuga twins. Right. And right. the Tortuga twins would come back if they were getting paid what they got paid last year. So Which, if they bring back the big name acts, you know, the, the danger mm-hmm. committee, the Tortuga twins, a few things like that. Don't give a fuck about the musicians because they don't give a fuck yep. about the musicians and they or never the have, performers. or the street performers. It might, it might be okay for them at first. They wouldn't be able to fill all their stages. Well, no, and and they they hire they have entertainers work at the front gate, but they're paying mm-hmm. something like seven bucks an hour, or some mm-hmm. bullshit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just paid people out there. Mm-hmm. And speaking from experience, they did a drive-through experience last year. Yep. And asked performers if they would come out and work for free. <laughs> I know. Or I work. Believe. I was shocked work, at who said yes. <laughs> or work at like stands and get paid a very small amount of money uh-huh. or a commission. Um, and the Dregs decided we wanted an opportunity to practice music. So we went out and we, pro- we played out there. Um, and so many times as we were playing out there, people who were driving past were like, I'm so glad you're out here. It's so quiet. Yeah. Well, and so. So if they don't yeah. pay, if the musicians are all like, fuck you, I'm not coming back for 50% pay or 70% pay or whatever they try to offer, people are going to notice. But see, you just illustrated the problem perfectly, which is one, they pay the big names the same, Mm -hmm. so they still come back. Two, you went out there and performed for free for the love of the music. You were willing to do it because you love to perform, because you love playing with your bandmates and you like and you like entertaining people. That's the whole point. And that's the thing is like people are that is why so many people will do thankless jobs because working at the Renaissance Festival is a pretty thankless job a lot of the time. But like Mm -hmm. do these thankless jobs because they are doing it for the love of it. Right. Like nurses. You know, like my mom, my mom crossed a picket line because she was like, babies still need like there are still babies being born with their hearts outside of their chests. The NICU still has to be open. I need to be there. Right. And, and so I get that, but that's another way that they exploit labor and another way that, that they, they, they force you into exploiting yourself and therefore exploiting all your other coworkers really. Right. We have that at my company. Uh, uh, We are very low paid. We're not in terms of like what we could be making for the work we do, but it's, you love making games, right? It's your dream job. Right. And so people stay because it's there. Where else can they go and do this? You know, uh, I, I will say that uh, the, the Pew did a, a survey right around like uh, the end of this last year or maybe the beginning of this year. Uh, and 66 percent of the people they talked to said they seriously considered changing careers or changing jobs because of the pandemic, because of either their employer's response or because they stopped work doing their job and they realized it's like uh, how many people with the Renaissance Festival this year, because they, they were forced into a break, realized how exhausting it was to work out there during oh, those yeah. summers and how they didn't get sick this year and they didn't they didn't have time. They're going to be bodies. there's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to come back. Um, and, yeah. you know, and, you know, and heck, speaking for us, we don't know. We, we yeah. don't know. Yeah. We, we enjoyed don't. going out there and playing a couple of times. But, you know. Yeah, I got to admit, after 35 years, not having to work every weekend for seven weekends in the fall, uh, that was kind of nice. Um, well, and if I'm not going to get paid, 
yeah. what I got paid to be out there before, I'm not right. going to be back. You know, this last year was a weird year, and we hadn't had a yep. chance to play in front of people, and we're like, yep. fuck it, we're going to do oh, this. I don't, but I don't blame you for seizing yeah. the opportunity. I'm just showing how, that's how they exploit oh, yeah. you, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and at the same time, we were like, yeah, but we're going to go out and play when we fucking want for as long as we fucking want and and whatever. And yep, people yep. aren't supposed to stop. And if they want to stop, pull over and listen to us play more than one song, we're going to encourage it. And we're going to walk up to their window with a basket and say, hey, guess what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can mm-hmm. tip us. And there's nothing you can do to complain about it because we're here on our time, not yours. Yep, yep. Um, but I, I really wonder how it's going to affect how it's going to affect the festival people this year the big name acts probably they'll have to pay the same but everybody else if they try to if they try to cut if they try to cut pay i think a lot of people i hope most will say that i'm not going to be there um but we'll see uh, I would also say that uh, so a lot of people are retiring early. That's another yep. thing that they're seeing with the workforce is uh, especially teachers, uh, teachers who were maybe going to teach longer are now retiring starting at like 50 because why keep yeah. teaching at this point? Why not go do something easier? <laughs> you know, where yeah, they got fucked over this last year. Teachers oh, yeah. got oh, fucked badly, over hard. Badly. Well, and I think, you know, teachers and other positions that were directly impacted uh by the pandemic like that i think that they they illustrate something important you know going forward for all of us uh work-wise uh you know what a new interview question should be for everyone anytime you're applying for a job for the rest of your life is how did your company handle the pandemic and what policies did you put in place to protect your your workers yes to ask um, to ask your interviewee uh yeah your to, interviewer. Ask, yeah, to, to ask, ask the ask the potential employer yeah yep. absolutely yep. because like that is going to be an incredibly telling question because if they're like oh we didn't really do much and it's fine and we, we made put out it hand sanitizer, whatever like yeah that. then you're like oh okay then i mean you you automatically know that like a they don't give a fuck about people it's profits first but b you might be like oh cool I guess now I know that the owner of this company is, you know, anti-vax or anti-science uh, in some Plandemic. way, right? <laughs> yeah, right. You, you might, if they laugh when you ask about, you know, what was their policy about wearing masks or something like that, you can be like, well, fuck, I don't want to work for this person. Mm-hmm. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Like, I, I think that this, the pandemic has revealed uh, so much mm-hmm. about, about the nature of employment and I... It, so much of it has been to the benefit of labor, and I really hope that that is a trend. Yeah, fr- friend of the show, Nate, who I mentioned before, uh, works uh, at a national coffee chain, and he said that he has he has said straight up that uh, this pandemic has shown him how selfish and awful and uncaring the majority of people are when they think they can get away with it, aka when they are at a coffee shop ordering coffee and no one who no one they know is around and how they will behave and you know whether or not they will you know read the sign that says stand on the dot you know whether or not they will reach over the barrier to try to do so all the diff- all the little things that it's just like you just think this doesn't apply to you you know and it's i think that the 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 idea that 
uh, like you were saying, we work under, we work at gunpoint, right? You, you, yep. you work or you die. That's it. You work or you die in America. Uh, sometimes you die anyway, right? No matter how hard you work and no matter how much you save, all it takes is one cancer diagnosis to, to be done. Right. And, and, and not have any money anymore. But I think that people are realizing, um, how little control you have over your life and how easily everything can be taken away. I think a lot of people didn't have that, had never lived through something mm. uh, like say a psychotic break, where all of a sudden you realize that everything that you plan for yourself is over and you have to start over, right? And so a lot of people were forced into starting over and that makes you have a lot of introspection. People lost people they loved. People lost their kids and their husbands and their wives. You know, people you know had so much loss this year that they didn't experience before. And I think they're really trying to take stock uh, that 66% of people who seriously considered changing jobs, that's higher than it was after the Great Depression. Hmm. After the Great Depression, more people were like, no, I'm going to stay in this. Say, I, why would I change jobs? Why would I, you know, and I think it's because there's more variety of jobs. Now there's more jobs in general because there's more fields, right, than there were in 1929. But also just the idea that we are realizing, people are realizing that they do have power. Yeah. And, and, and that and, is a dangerous place for employers. <laughs> and employers that treat people better do better. I mean, I think a good example yep. is like Costco, where mm-hmm. their CEO makes like $600,000 a year or three hundred. I think it may be only $300,000 a yeah. year. And like other people are like, you're fucking insane, man. You could be making millions of dollars a year given how, how well your company performs. And he's like, I don't need millions of dollars a year. Mm-hmm. The, yep. I get paid plenty of money i have a nice house i have an i have a nice car i can go on vacation whenever i want and and i can fucking pay people yep if i don't pay myself and costco pays a living wage costco was one of the first companies to be on on board with no you wear a fucking mask in our store you leave um and had no problem with it and i mean that's you sit there and go well that's people could define that as a menial job right you're stocking shelves and shit like that but costco doesn't have a problem finding employees right my job did my my company uh was i i have to say i I mean amazing not just my personal studio but the overarching you know company like in general the corporation right and the one it's global like Mm -hmm. globally they because this was a global problem right and they 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 did great you know, we worked from home. They're, they're not they're not now saying, oh, everybody get back in the office. You know, my boss told me like they changed all of our jobs. A lot of people at my company now have a job that is listed as full time remote. Like they they don't have they will never be expected to go back in the office. Uh, I am one of the people who is expected to go in the office. My boss said uh, whenever you feel comfortable, even if that's 2022. Hmm. Whatever, whenever you feel comfortable, that's when we'll do it for you. And no one's going to no problem with that all the way to the top. Everyone's fine with that. Like it and that they've got me for life now, to be honest. Yeah. Like, why would I go anywhere else when I've been being taken care of on a human level like that? There's there's so many. I've seen a lot of people point out that uh, thanks to this pandemic, a thing that we all know is uh, so much accommodation that people have been begging for for years. Especially disabled people. Uh, right, yep. yep, when it comes to, especially like disability access for jobs. Uh, so much of what's been demanded and they've just said, gosh, we just can't do it, uh, actually is very doable and they put that sh- shit together real fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and 
you know, hopefully that's a silver lining from the pandemic is yeah. that stays. And if it doesn't stay, uh, get mad. Yeah. And, and, you know, be vocal. Don't mourn, organize. Yeah, right. Legitimately. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's the state of American jobs right now. Honestly, like, I, we'd love to hear from you. How did the pandemic affect your work? Uh, how have you been handling your job situation? Do you Are you thinking about changing careers? Are you going back to school? Are you going to just, you know, retire early? You know, I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking and what's your plan. Uh, I know I am staying at Fantasy Flight personally, but uh, honestly, a lot of that is because uh, th this this res the response to the pandemic really solidified it for me that that they they put people first over profits. I mean, quite literally, put people over profits this year. And watching the jobs that aren't doing that and have, and who are now like oh, nobody wants to work. I can't open my restaurant where I was known for verbally abusing employees before the <laughs> pandemic. It's like, or like I stole all their paychecks and, and didn't pay people because I, and, and now everyone, and now all of a sudden no one wants to work for me. What the and fuck? Like, yeah. And, and it, like, I think the, the, the best tweet I saw that encapsulated it is conservatives let the free market decide free market decides conservatives what you know like, and it's like that's not fair like, and it's like no we wanted you to decide what we want exactly not yep. free markets yep. just for rich people yeah nobody wants to work anymore nobody wants to work for you anymore <laughs> but it's time to get on to five questions five questions uh, and we have five questions from prolific question asker adulterated evil all right. Hey. Uh, they say, hey, geeks, I, like you, love to read. It's been my favorite pastime since I was a kid. Portable and economic, if you can get to the library or bookmobile, like I had to use when I was a kid. I carried a book with me wherever I went. I was, and still am, fairly antisocial. I'd rather listen to other people talk than join in myself, and books kept me occupied whenever I was bored, which was often. I want to quiz you guys on some of your favorites. Okay. Are you ready for book questions? Quiz away. All right. I'm going to... Ask the question, and then I will read Adulterated Evil's answer to give you time to think, okay? Okay. Question one. What was your favorite children's book? I owned A Big Ball of String. It's about a kid who is homesick and uses his big ball of string to rig MacGyver-style contraptions all over his room. I made sure when my nephew was born that he got a copy to go on his shelf. So what was your favorite children's book? Where the Wild Things Are. Mm. Yeah. The art is so great and... and uh, unique and i just like the idea of being a child who's pissed off at their parents and being like you know what fuck this i'm gonna put on my kigurumi and go <laughs> live with the monsters who also by the way crown me their king <laughs> oh yeah it's a good one yeah it's a good, it one. A good one tim what about you the Trumpet of the Swan by E.B. White. Mm, it is a, uh, a book, book. book about a, a swan that is born without a voice, a trumpeter swan that is born without a voice, so he learns how to play the trumpet <laughs> so he can speak. Um, it's it's a one. delightful book. Uh, I loved Good Night Moon. I still oh. love Good uh, Night Moon. I, I read that one. all the time. I liked looking at all the different little things that were in the room and, and yeah. Very, very big and fan. Saying goodnight to them. Yep. Runner up, I would say, is uh, the Richard Scarry books. Oh, yeah. Mm. With the, the, like, cars and trucks and things that go where mm -hmm. you can find Oh, those were great books. And, I loved those yep, books. Yep. Those were really mm -hmm. fun. Okay. Question two. What book have you reread the most? 
I think mine is Watership Down. I picked it up randomly in the junior high library and fell in love with the story immediately. Mm. I've read it 15 times or so over my life. So what book have you reread the most? Uh, Ender's Game, mm. the first mm. one. I've, I've purchased it once, uh, had a few copies, and I've probably read it about, I don't know, 10 or 11 times mm -hmm. maybe. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a solid book. Too bad about the author. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, it's the, the Stand by Stephen King. Uh, I bet I've read that 20 times. Like, no exaggeration. I started, I, I read it for the first time when I was like 10, maybe 11. And for a while, I was reading it every year, sometimes twice. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Nice. Yeah. Because I don't know. I laugh out loud every time I it's, read that book, even though I, I just because the way Douglas Adams tells, uses words uh, to create humor, it just amuses the shit out of me. Yeah. So, he's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question three. What is one specific thing a book might have that will make you give it a chance when you might otherwise drop it after a few chapters? Uh, I tend to like a good invented language or vocabulary, like in Watership. The rabbits have their own words for things like eating and tractors. Figuring out those things from context clues always gives me a little shot of endorphins. So what is one thing a book might have that will make you give it a chance when you might otherwise drop it after a few chapters? Uh, for me, it's uh, uh, British fiction. Mm. I am so forgiving to British yeah. fiction, especially modern British fiction. Uh, uh, Audiobook or or not, uh, audiobook is always extra good. But uh, if I'm reading a book and it's got British slang and, and names and things like that, I, I almost always will give it a better chance. If it's a mystery, I will mm. basically finish it because I'm always going to want to know the solution to the mystery. Mm -hmm. And it's not good enough just to skip to the end of the book and find it out. So even if it's a bad mystery, I will finish it. Nice. I'm the same way. Uh, yeah. A really good magic system or mythology. Oh. Uh, a really good magic system that's interesting and makes sense is a good hook. Like there's logically consistent rules to it, even though it's, you know, magic or whatever. Mm -hmm. That was like Dresden for me. Oh, sure. Uh, yep. Or um, or a really, really good mythology. It's kind of like the mystery thing for Tim, right? Like I, if they have all these you know, ancient prophecies and gods that are dead and all that stuff, like I want to know about where all that stuff went sure, and what it's all sure. leading to. Yeah. Okay. Question four. How far have you gone to get a book? Have you ever waited in line for days for a Harry Potter or faced down an X to retrieve an unfinished or favorite volume? The copy of Watership Down on my shelf right now is the one I took from the middle school library after checking it out several times. It was the first thing I consciously stole and I justified it by the fact that no one else had checked it out over a three year period. That's a great story. It's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. The farthest I've gone for a book isn't, uh, it, it, this is a weird way to answer this question, a, a weird interpretation, but uh, I have a friend that, uh, an ex-roommate who lent me a copy of one of his uh, William S. Burroughs books. Uh, I want to say like 15 or 17 years ago or something mm. like that. Like we were still living in the same like pirate house together mm -hmm. punk house uh i still have it i know exactly where it is i keep on meaning to give it back to him we run into each other every <laughs> year at convergence and every year i'm like ah son of a bitch eric i have your fucking book. i know exactly where it is it's on my 
desk. It's in this corner. Uh-huh. I, and I and I know where it is right now. Even after moving, I I was careful of where I put it in in boxes and all that for moving. And I know exactly where it is. And uh, one of these days, I will get him his fucking book back. <laughs> but that's the furthest I've ever gone for a book, because I still have that shit. Uh, I ordered the Anarchist Cookbook Ooh. from Barnes & Noble. Uh, when, I, when I worked there in 1997, I placed an order like for the book for myself like as an employee and uh my manager came over when he saw the order and was like i just want to make sure you understand you could get put in a government list for this and i at the time did not realize anything about i, I thought it was very true and i was like in my heart i was quailing i was just like oh my god and i was like no and i was like then so be it and i felt so like like, like empowered and i was like i'll be on your government list like I, i'm gonna read this like banned book that's like so dangerous Ooh. yeah that was my that was my big thing i don't know if this this is a cheat or not but uh one of the series of books that i find very entertaining is uh the death in national parks uh, books like oh, yeah all yeah. the major national parks have a death in yosemite book which is you know a book two inches thick of people who have died in Yosemite National Park. (laughs) So just this winter, and I don't want to buy the book unless I'm in the park. I need to have been to the park because I want to, I want to have, I want to have some geographical references to where these people died. Um, Context. Yeah. So this winter we, we drove all the way down to Big Bend National Park in Texas and I got Death and Big Bend. So I, I would say that's pretty far to get a book. Yeah. Yeah. Damn far. Okay. Question five. Who is your favorite author at the moment? Over my lifetime, I suppose Stephen King would win, but currently it's Brandon Sanderson. Hey. It was a tight race with Jim Butcher for a few years there, but those last two Dresden books lowered my expectations. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. me too, buddy. Me too. All right. So who is your favorite author right now? My favorite author right now is Brandon Sanderson. This I, is true. Uh, I, uh, he I, talks about him all the time. I just reread Mistborn uh, and reread the first Wax and Wayne book. And as Molly is reading the Wax and Wayne series, I took a break for the new Andy Weir uh, book, uh, Hail Mary, which is great so far. But uh, I... One thing I absolutely fucking love about Brandon Sanderson, despite the fact not he's a fucking workhorse, like he writes so much, he's incredibly prolific, but he is kind of a charming, affable, nerdy guy who there is a significant amount of YouTube video of him talking and delivering lectures to his writing classes, but also right now he's giving weekly YouTube updates, just like a quick five minute video just about every Monday. That's like, okay, here's where I am in the writing for this book I'm working on now. I have this many words done. We're at this point in the process. We probably have, you know, 75% left to go or whatever. And then he'll be like, okay, I just finished this copy of this book and it's off to my beta readers to get their feedback. And I just started doing the plotting and the write-up for my for the next book and after that book, I'm going to write, you know, the fifth book in this other series. It's crazy. But <laughs> he has it all planned out. And he just churns them out. 
and and they're good and they're good yeah and they're they're long they're big fucking it's, books it's it's like it's like in a fairy tale where somebody uh like makes a wish or like finds a golden yeah. goose or something and it's just like how does this keep happening You're like where are yep. you getting all this from <laughs> how are yeah. you spinning that straw like, into gold like, how is this yeah. i didn't believe the stories about alexander hamilton until i thought someone compared it to brandon sanderson oh, to me shit. and i was like oh sure like the guy that had to write three books because he got the idea for them in the middle of writing his other trilogy which is actually his fifth trilogy you know like yeah, yeah very yeah. much he got bored on a plane and started a quadrilogy yeah. in between trilogies yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> yep tim what about you uh it's related to the last one i don't read a lot of fiction mm-hmm. um but uh one series that i really enjoy is uh, by Nevada Barr. She is a former national park ranger, and it's a series of mystery books about murders that take place in national parks. Oh, but um, it's not the death in. It's not the death it, in series. It's not it's, the death in series. It's, the death oh. in series is real deaths. This is like. Oh. This is like actual mystery novels about a. a park ranger who's a who's a law enforcement park ranger who is in who keeps getting moved to new national Uh parks so she Uh can investigate yeah yeah. death in a different national park so because it it, it marries one of my obsessions with a style of book that i enjoy so nevada Nevada bar is the writer and uh, she has i don't know there's probably 12 or 15 books in this series sounds like a pen name right Yeah, yeah that's great uh for me it's sam sykes uh not just because so he's only written uh, two books that are three, if you count the novella, but that I've read, uh, I guess I haven't read the second, I haven't read 10 arrows of iron yet. Cause I'm waiting for the audiobook. but I might just have to cave and get the, get the physical book. But the reason he's my favorite author right now, isn't just that the books are good. He is my favorite author as in like the person behind the writing, right? Like he is hilarious on Twitter. He is a very silly dude. Uh, he, he writes, very absurdist jokes and and uh, smokes a lot of pot and makes because he's legal where he lives and makes a lot of like really just awkward funny very, he's very plugged in to meme culture and things yeah. like that too and it's just he delights me uh, it's it's uh, I, I, I I like that very much all the other books and authors that I love other than Brandon Sanderson right now um, either they're disappointing me a bit King's last few books were. And uh, uh, or it's like Scott Lynch and uh, uh, Patrick Rothfuss, where I'm like, where's the next book, guys? Like, I, I, you don't owe me shit. I know that. Like, I get it. But like, I am these. It's been so long now that I, I just, I, you guys, I, you're losing me. So it's like the next Game of Thrones book, like kind of who gives? Yeah, it. yeah. So yeah. it's. But right now, Sam Sykes. If you haven't read uh, Seven Blades in Black, it is hilarious yeah. fantasy with uh, a very dark twist. That's really good. Lots so of swears. yeah, lots of swears. Uh, I who think his love Twitter a book handle. With a lot of swears. I think his Twitter handle is Sam Sykes swears. Yeah, I believe is, is actually. Sam is. Sykes swears. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, thank you, Adulterated Evil, as always. Yeah. Uh, love it when you – we have one more set of questions from them, by the way, just oh, like nice. letting you know. But uh, uh, this has been a really great episode that I really enjoyed talking to you guys about. So thank you. Uh, if you enjoyed listening to it, please let us know your thoughts. Let us know your favorite books or favorite authors right now. What are you reading? Uh, and finally, uh, we are still obviously on Patreon. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Welcome to Geeks Without God with Molly Glover, Nick Glover, and Tim Wick. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks.
with geeks without God. We don't recognize moral authority. We don't accept divine superiority. We're geeks, geeks without God. This week on Geeks Without God, we are discussing the increasing conflict between employers and workers who feel they ought to be paid a living wage for doing their job. Guess which side we come out on? We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, geeks without God. I'm so sorry I panicked and I just kept going. You did.